Hey guys, today I want to tell you about Edwin Grove and his hotel that's essentially an Appalachian mountain castle that comes complete with over 500 rooms, a spa the size of a small village, and its very own ghost. Stick around and learn about the Grove Park Inn. <laughs> Welcome to the NC Everything Podcast, a weekly podcast that covers everything that has anything to do with North Carolina. I'm your host, Curtis, and I hope you're as happy to be here as I am. If you're one of my devoted fans, well, thank you for coming back. And if you're new to the show, I thank you for giving me a listen. Now, before I get started, I just want to say I really appreciate all the feedback I got for the Ava Gardner episode. I don't know what the age demographics are on all my listeners, but I feel like Ava Gardner was targeting a very specific crowd, so I was pretty surprised about the feedback. So again, thank you for all of that. For some of you new folks, if you like the show, then don't forget to check out the website at www.dnceverythingpodcast.com. And there you can listen to all my past episodes, and you too can reach out and contact me. You can also join the Facebook group by searching The NC Everything Podcast on Facebook. I think the group has 31 followers now, and that may make some of the social media viral people laugh, but it means a whole lot to me. I mean, I wanted to make something nice for our great state, and with the feedback I've been getting as of late, I feel like I'm meeting that goal. Now, I think that's just about enough of that, so let's get on to the content. By the way, my my four-year-old son is out there riding his four-wheeler. Occasionally, you may be able to hear it humming in the background here, but the truth is, it's actually a, a really beautiful day today. It's um, November 17th as I'm recording this, and it's really nice outside, uh, so I, I couldn't really tell him no. But anyway, I, I hope it's not too much of a distraction. All right, today's story starts in Tennessee, actually, and it centers around a man named Edwin Wiley Grove. Now, he was born in Whiteville, Tennessee in 1850. His daddy served as a Confederate soldier under Nathan Bedford Forrest, now, some articles I read said that Edwin Grove himself was a soldier in the Civil War, but I couldn't really confirm that. I mean, he would have been 11 years old when the, the Civil War first started. Now, I do know that the youngest soldier killed in the Civil War was a 10-year-old drummer boy, and there are a lot of tales of children actively fighting in combat, so it's not really outside the realm of possibility that Edwin himself was a soldier. But if he did serve, he would have most likely been a Confederate, since his daddy was on the Confederate side. Anyway, it was after the war when Edwin decided on his career path. He wanted to get into the pharmaceutical business. So, after his formal schooling, Grove moved to Memphis, Tennessee to study pharmacy. During this time, he got a job at a local pharmacy where he worked as a clerk under Dr. Samuel Houston Caldwell. Now, Caldwell was a battlefield surgeon under Nathan Bedford Forrest. In 1880, when he was in his mid-twenties, he bought his first pharmacy in Tennessee. While he was running this pharmacy, he devoted most of his time into forming a tasteless quinine to prevent malaria. Now, around this time, malaria in the South was a really huge problem, and quinine, if I'm saying that right, was an antiparasitic, and that was kind of the drug of the day, and I guess it tasted horrible, because he wanted to make something that was tasteless. Well, he had to experiment for several years before he came up with Grove's Tasteless Chill Tonic. Well, the chill tonic was tremendously successful from the very beginning, and it blew off the shelves. In the 1890s, there was more bottles of his chill tonic sold than bottles of Coca-Cola. 
Well, eventually, he would make over a million dollars with this chill tonic, and he expanded his manufacturing of the tonic from Paris, Tennessee to St. Louis, Missouri. It wasn't long after this before you could find the tonic in England, Australia, Brazil, and even Argentina. Eventually, Edwin Grove got sick himself, and he was diagnosed with bronchitis and exhaustion. <laughs> My note here says, Edwin, sick, bronchitis, exhaustion. Diagnosis, bronchitis, exhaustion. I don't know how that uh, ended up that way on my notes here. Maybe I was uh, just being thorough. Anyway, his doctor told him that what he really needed was some clean mountain air around Asheville, North Carolina. And so, Asheville, he did go. In 1897, he started building a house in Asheville, and he did find out that the climate was pretty good for his lungs. While Edwin was in North Carolina, he was still trying to pursue a pharmaceutical career in the form of pharmaceutical inventions. Well, it was around this time that he met a guy named Fred Seeley in Detroit, Michigan. Fred was also into pharmaceutical business. Well, the two became friends pretty quickly, and eventually Edwin Grove invited Fred Seeley to his home in Asheville. A week later, Fred quit his position in Detroit, and he headed south for good, or at least a foreseeable future. Edwin invited Fred to work in his medicine company in Paris, Tennessee. Well, it wasn't long after Fred got hired on that he became acquainted with Edwin's daughter, Evelyn. A single day after Fred met Evelyn, Edwin Grove gave Fred his permission for Fred to marry her. So it looks like things move pretty fast in Fred's world. I mean, in under a month, he has a new job and a new fiancé. Well, Fred started that job in June of 1898. And a few months later, in October, Fred and Evelyn got married. Like I said, fast Fred. Well, pharmaceuticals wasn't Edwin and Fred's only venture. They also got into real estate. They started buying property all around Asheville. Now, this real estate thing may seem kind of extreme, but it wasn't a, a new thing for Edwin. By this time, he had already built several neighborhoods in Atlanta, Georgia. Now, I tried to track down a little bit more about um, this stuff he'd done in Georgia, but I couldn't really find a whole lot, but apparently he had been doing uh, some real estate work for a while now. The thing about Asheville, though, is Edwin could see the writing on the wall. George Vanderbilt had just recently opened up his Biltmore house, and the railroad was expanding to the area, so Edwin knew that Asheville was going to be growing, and he wanted to be a part of that. Well, in 1905, he got an idea that would change the area forever. He wanted to build a grand hotel in Asheville. But the first thing he did was build up a residential area called Grove Park. Then, in 1909, he bought 408 acres on Sunset Mountain, and this is where he planned to build the Grove Park Inn. Two years later, in 1911, construction on the inn would commence. The funny thing was that Grove reached out to several architects, and they submitted designs for this grand hotel idea, but he wasn't satisfied with any of them. It was actually Fred who drew out a proposed sketch, and Grove loved it. And so, Edwin Grove gave Fred Seeley the job of getting the hotel built. It took 400 men working six days a week for 10 hours a day to get it done. You see, Fred had promised that he could get the job done in less than a year. That's why he had so many guys working so many hours. Well, just three days shy of one year, the Grove Park Inn opened its doors. This was July 12th, 1913. On opening day, they had a big old banquet, and 400 of the most important men in the South attended. The North Carolina Secretary of State, William Jennings Bryan, delivered the keynote address. 
Once word of the Grove Park Inn spread around and a whole lot of people started visiting the inn, it became regarded as one of the best resort hotels in the world. Edwin's next project was the old Battery Park Hotel. He demolished it and built a new Battery Park Hotel on the spot. Right across from the entrance of this new hotel, he built a mall of shops. Author Thomas Wolfe would later criticize Edwin Grove for building this retail area. Now I just want to put this out there. Edwin Grove was not some greedy entrepreneur. He was actually known for his generous donations to charities as well as educational and religious organizations. He built a high school in Paris, Tennessee, and since he was Presbyterian, he built several Presbyterian churches. Well, Edwin Grove continued to live in Asheville with his daughters, Evelyn and Irma, from his first wife, Mary Louisa Moore. Mary Moore died in 1883, and three years later, Grove married Alice Gertrude Mathewson, and with her, he had three children. They were Hallett, Edwin, and Helen. On January 27, 1927, Edwin Grove died in Asheville, and he's buried in a family cemetery near his hometown of Whiteville, Tennessee. Now, that may be the end of Edwin Grove's story, but we're nowhere near the end of the story of the Grove Park Inn, so let's head back to that Asheville castle. Now, when I say it's an Asheville castle, I'm not quoting some catchy phrase from an article I read during my research. That's just my personal opinion on the place. I will certainly have some pictures of it in the show notes, so check that out when you get a chance. But, while you're checking those pictures out, let me plead my case. The Grove Park Inn is made out of granite, and it takes up 86,852 square feet. This square footage includes a 17,000 square foot ballroom and an 8,000 square foot ballroom, as well as 510 guest rooms. Now, some of my sources say there's 513 rooms. I actually tried to call the Grove Park Inn yesterday to get some confirmation on that, but they have a, a automated answering service and, you know, press one, press two. I didn't really get nowhere with that. So, um, it's somewhere around 500 rooms. The inn also has 40 meeting rooms, four restaurants, and nine tennis courts. And if you hate tennis, you could try playing a round of golf on the 18-hole Donald Ross golf course out back. Now, underneath the hotel is a 43,000-square-foot underground spa that includes two pools and two waterfalls. It's a castle, I say, and I'm sure there's a lot of amenities that I've left out. Now, just to be fair, the golf course I mentioned was built in 1899, but it was redesigned by Donald Ross in 1924. During World War II, the Grove Park Inn was used as an internment center for Axis diplomats, and later it was used as a place for rest and rehabilitation for sailors returning from combat. Well, in 1955, it was acquired by Charles Simmons of Simmons Enterprises, and he was really the one who transformed it from an inn to a resort. And that's mainly because he was the one who added the underground spa in the 1980s. Eventually, Simmons Enterprises sold the Grove Park Inn to KSL Resorts in 2012, but they only held on to the property for about a year, and then they sold it to Omni Hotels and Resorts. Omni Hotels renamed the Grove Park Inn into the Omni Grove Park Inn, and that's what it's still called today. And now, since I keep calling it a castle... Let me run down some of the American royalty that have stayed there. It's been visited by 10 U.S. presidents, William Taft, Woodrow Wilson, Calvin Coolidge, Herbert Hoover, Franklin D. Roosevelt, Dwight Eisenhower, Richard Nixon, George H.W. Bush, Bill Clinton, and Barack Obama. Some other notable guests include Harry Houdini, 
Will Rogers, Henry Ford, John D. Rockefeller, Thomas Edison, Albert Einstein, Wiley Post, who completed the first solo flight around the world, Carl Sandburg, golf legends Bobby Jones and Jack Nicholas, Helen Keller, Margaret Mitchell, who wrote Gone with the Wind, F. Scott Fitzgerald, who wrote The Great Gatsby, and the cast of The Hunger Games stayed there while they filmed. Now, I'm sure I could quadruple that list, but out of all those I mentioned, there is one who is probably the most notable as a guest, and that is F. Scott Fitzgerald. That's because he was a guest there for an entire year, and I'm going to tell you that story. F. Scott stayed there between the summers of 1935 and 1936. Before this, Scott and his wife, Zelda, were living the life of luxury in France, thanks to the Great Gatsby. But after the, the hoorah about Great Gatsby kind of died down, F. Scott's writing wasn't selling, and Zelda's health was declining. Now, if you read through my sources, some of them say that F. Scott also had poor health due to tuberculosis, but many other sources say it was really just alcoholism that he was suffering from. You see... He had entered into a state of depression because of his inability to sell his writing, and so he had started drinking pretty heavily. Zelda, on the other hand, had already had two severe mental breakdowns. A lot of sources say she had schizophrenia, but a few other sources speculate that she may have actually been bipolar. By the time the couple had discovered Asheville, they had already been wandering south from Baltimore already and sort of looking for a new life, or at least the next chapter of their life anyway. So when they found Asheville... F. Scott thought it would be a great place to rest and collect his thoughts and maybe find some inspiration. There was also a hospital there for Zelda. This was the Highland Hospital, right there in Asheville. Now, F. Scott came down before Zelda, and he stayed a little while before he, he finally got her and brought her down here. Well, pretty much as soon as Zelda came to Asheville, she entered into the Highland Hospital. F. Scott, on the other hand, rented two rooms at the Grove Park Inn, one for riding and one for sleeping. He rented rooms 441 and 443. Now, he intentionally chose those rooms because they overlooked the main entrance and he liked to watch the women arriving at the hotel and check out what they were wearing as they walked in. And he didn't actually get a whole lot of writing done because he would drink to become inspired and then he would become too drunk to write. They say that he would drink gin all day, but then he would turn to beer to get himself off the gin. But then he was drinking 30 bottles of beer a day. Now, during this time, he was writing and submitting some of his writings to different magazines to try to pay the debts, but he didn't really write anything substantial for the rest of his life. As far as his relationship with Zelda, they had started declining a long time ago. I mean, they loved each other for sure, but after Zelda had had an affair with a French aviator while they were living in France, there was an obvious void between them, and F. Scott just really couldn't reconcile what had happened. When they were in Asheville... F. Scott would visit her from time to time, and sometimes he would bring her to the Grove Park Inn. But witnesses say that they would sit and eat and not speak to each other the entire time. Now, F. Scott wasn't without sin either. He had had at least two affairs while he was staying at the Grove Park Inn. One, he nicknamed Rosemary, after the character Rosemary in the novel, Tender is the Night. However, he realized that that relationship could never work, but he didn't want to break it off, so Rosemary's sister did the job. She told Rosemary that she needed to end the affair or she was going to tell her husband, and so she did. And F. Scott's time at the Grove Park Inn didn't get any better. At one point, he injured his shoulder while swimming during a, a diving mishap, and he had to have a cast put on his arm, and this caused him to miss Zelda's 36th birthday. 
Finally, the depression and the grief over Zelda and the poor writing and the drinking got to him. Because at one point, he drank a small bottle of morphine in a suicide attempt. But this also failed, and all it caused him to do was vomit the morphine back up. After his time at the Grove Park Inn, F. Scott would move to California and try to write for MGM. While in California, he started up a relationship with a Hollywood gossip columnist named Sheila Graham. That relationship lasted about three years, even though him and Zelda never did divorce. Zelda, on the other hand, never left Asheville. She spent nine years at the Highland Hospital. At the beginning of March 1948, the doctors told Zelda that she was well enough to be released, but she wanted to stay on a few more weeks just to be sure. Personally, I think she may have been a little institutionalized, but not really in a bad way. In nine years, I am sure she made plenty of friends and what seemed like family with the people at the Highland Hospital. But there, Zelda stayed. Sadly, on the evening of March 10, 1948, a fire broke out in the central building of the hospital where Zelda was staying. Zelda and eight other women were on the top floor, and they were trapped as the fire burned up towards them. Some of the windows were locked, and others were barred by chains. Some of the hallway doors were also locked. The building didn't have alarms or sprinklers, and the fire escape was made from wood, so it didn't last too long either. Zelda Fitzgerald and eight other women died in that fire that night. I guess some kind of golden lining for that night is that Zelda didn't spend the last minutes of her life scared to death. A coroner found out that Zelda and four other women were under the influence of some strong sedatives to help them sleep that night. So hopefully she didn't suffer. Now I wish I could end the podcast on a more positive note, but unfortunately I have another fairly sad story. If you remember from the intro... I mentioned that the Grove Park Inn had a ghost. Well, this is a pretty famous North Carolina ghost called the Pink Lady of Grove Park Inn. The story goes that sometime in the 1920s, a lady in pink fell from the balcony of room 545 and died. Now, some say she jumped, some say it was an accident, and some say she was pushed. Well, ever since then, the Pink Lady has been spotted around the resort. Now, there's a bunch of people who said they have seen a full-figured lady in pink. And some other people say that they have seen a pink haze. And some more people said they have only really felt her presence in the form of somebody sitting on the bed or touching them as they walk by. I read one story about a man who was walking and the pink lady took him by the arm and let him escort her to the lobby. Another story I read was that one time they tried to enter room 545 and the key card wouldn't work. They got another one and it wouldn't work either. Finally, they took the door off the hinges, and when they entered, the room was completely empty. Now, people in the room said that the room itself felt kind of strange, and there was unexplained beams of light around the room. Nobody seems to know who the lady in pink actually was, but it appears that she is a guest who is there to stay. And folks, that is all I have on Edwin Grove and the Grove Park Inn. I sure hope you've enjoyed the episode, and uh, I hope my kids four-wheeling outside wasn't uh wasn't too distracting like i said at the beginning if you did enjoy the episode don't forget to go to the website at www.dnceverythingpodcast.com and listen to all my past episodes and check out some of the show notes for for each episode including this one i'll uh i'll put in some pictures of edwin grove and the grove park inn and definitely that forty thousand square foot forty three thousand square foot spa and if you've actually stayed at the grove park inn or you have a story about the grove park inn you can contact me through the website as well 
but I'm actually going to try to put a, a contact link uh, link in the show notes uh, for each episode for now on, so you can check there too. And you can also contact me with uh, anything you want to say. I'm actually trying to collect North Carolina stories, so if you have uh, any stories about North Carolina, I would love to hear them. You can type them up or, or send them to me in an audio file. And like I've said in the past when I've brought this up, it doesn't have to be a, a nail-biter or edge-of-your-seat story. It just has to be a North Carolina story. Anyway, don't forget to follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and check in every Saturday for new episodes. Y'all stay safe out there, and I'll talk to you next time. The music in this episode comes from archesaudio.com and freepd.com.